started in about 2005 writing in the church space. I spent about a decade on staff with a mega church based out here in Atlanta. But prior to that, I was, uh, as we were talking about before, I was a volunteer leader at my church. I was on staff with a mega church for about a decade. I loved my time there. I absolutely loved how intentional the, the leadership was in developing us and allowing us to sort of try new things. So uh, I always wanted to be a writer and I knew at five years old, I wanted to be a writer. In fact, I wrote, I want to be a author. So wasn't grammatically there yet, but yeah. the dream, the dream was, was alive and well. Welcome to the Social Media Church Podcast. I'm Neil Smith, joined by a new friend, Holly Crawshaw. Holly, Holly, thank you so much for joining us. Nils, I have to apologize for saying your name incorrectly when we when we first met on <laughs> on today's call. I called you Niles. I'm so sorry. I'm sure you get that all the time. All the time. Well, and we we met on social media, and so I yep. do get that a lot of people that it's like we've interacted with for a while, but they assume uh, that it is pronounced a certain way. So, and I appreciate you asking, and uh, for those listening that maybe have thought my name was Niles, uh, as most people <laughs> immediately do. Uh, my, it's funny, there's got to be a story there. There's got to be a story there. So it's a, and I appreciate you you asking. So it it is my it's a Swedish name. Uh, my great great grandfather who brought my family over from Sweden to Boston area. Uh, was named Nils Berggren, and uh, so that's where the name came from. But with that name, and it's it's like John in in Sweden. It's very common and normal. Oh, okay. I've never I, I've never met another Nils up until like a month ago. I met a Nils online, he, and he's also uh, I'm in New York, but he's in Boston. Uh, but and he but he's got that Swedish descent as well. Uh, but my mom is always like, it's like she'll tell people she's like, you just read it. It's like Nils Hills Thrills Pills. And I'm like, mom, all of those have two L's. You know, you could get thrown in an extra L, even though it wasn't the way my <laughs> Help family a guy out. Was. Yeah, uh, that's but that's hilarious. the way it goes. And I was introverted. I never, I'd, I'd go through like a whole year of school and not correct teachers uh, because I was too introverted to say anything. That's so sad. It is. It is sad as I look back. And now it works out for Google because there's no other Neil Smiths out there. Uh, and so it's easy to find. And, and so nice you're, you're SEO optimized. SEO optimized mostly due to having a weird, <laughs> a weird name. Uh, so there, there you have it. Uh, I'm, I'm taking some good out of it. Well, Holly, for those that aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about your background and what it is you do. Sure. That's a great question. Um, so I started in about 2005 writing in the church space. I spent about a decade on staff with a mega church based out here in Atlanta. But prior to that, I was, uh, as we were talking about before, I was a volunteer leader at my church and the church had, I think, a bookkeeper and a pastor, right? That okay. were paid yep. staff. And then the rest of us put in part-time to full-time hours, yep. right? But uh, no pay. So yes. I have a, a wide gamut of experience in the church space from being a volunteer leader to working at a mega church, which had, um, was very resourced and very staffed. Um, so I hope whatever I share today will be helpful for churches, regardless of the size, right? Because I've had yes. to make it work in, in both scenarios. So like I said, I was on staff with a mega church for about a decade. I loved my time there. I absolutely loved how intentional the, the leadership was in developing us and allowing us to sort of try new things. So. Uh, I always wanted to be a writer. When I was in kindergarten, um, my grandmother saved this little diary entry that I that I had. We had a diary entry in our class, yeah. and we were talking about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I knew at five years old I wanted to be a writer. In fact, I wrote, I want to be a author. So wasn't grammatically there yet, but yeah. the dream the dream was was alive and well. And so you know, everybody else wanted to be a, a movie star or pop singer. And I just <laughs> wanted to be That's a awesome. writer. I'm not sure about what that says about my five-year-old psyche, but um, I've just always known that that's what God called me to be. I've always known yeah. that. And so in my time, I got an English degree, right? And I taught high school one year. 
And I knew very quickly that was not where God, God had called yeah. me. I taught high school English and teachers are superheroes. They, they yeah. truly are. They, my mom's a teacher. They do not get enough credit, praise or money. But after that, I went to work at this church, um, wonderful organization. And I just started writing there. It wasn't my staff role. My staff role was a volunteer coordinator, basically coordinated about 75 middle school small group leaders. From there, I moved into the preschool environment director, had about seven staff that I managed there. And we had, you know, about 2000 preschoolers over the course of a few services. So during that time, this church allowed me to write in many capacities. Um, I did some ghost writing there. Um, I did some writing to parents, writing to leaders, creating resources and materials and blogs. And I also worked um, contractually during this time for a wonderful organization called Orange. In fact, they were the first people to ever give me a dollar for um, for my writing. And yeah. so that was back in 2005. So I've wow. been, and I still I still write for Orange. And so it's been almost 18 years awesome. uh, since I got the first dollar for my writing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so I came off staff after I had my second daughter. I'm a mom to three girls. Nice. Uh, so it's uh, it's emotional around here. <laughs> yeah. I've got two daughters, so I can relate. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I, I kind of took my writing um, full time, I would say, after being at that church for about 10 years after the birth of my second daughter, uh, was writing a lot more for Orange at that time, trying to get my own thing going, was approached by an agent in Houston, um, the Fed agency, and started yeah. writing for big publishing houses. And so I've been blessed enough to have a few uh, big projects with all five major publishing houses, uh, all in the faith space. So, um, and that's where I am now. And so yeah. I have, I, I kind of have my own thing. It's called the story spark. Yeah. And I'm just writing for people and um, trying to tell as many stories as I can that wouldn't otherwise get told. So I'm a yeah. full-time ghostwriter now. I love it. I love it. And I found you because of your words uh, on LinkedIn uh, as, as you LinkedIn. crafted those messages. And it, uh, you know, it caught my attention, like, in, and you have such great engagement on LinkedIn. Um, and, and I think there, there's just so much power in words. I, I'm embarrassed to look back on so many of the things I did in, when I was on staff and, at, at a church. Uh, but, but I remember when I uh, was, I was, you know, I started as like social media manager, social media pastor was my title. And, and I remember um, we hired a, and I was put in charge of, you know, kind of elevated uh, to part of what I was overseeing was communications in our church. And we hired a marketing director, um, this incredibly smart lady. We actually hired her away from the San Antonio Spurs uh, as she was doing marketing for them. And she, uh, oh. and she, one of her first questions was, what are, what, who, who's our copywriter? Uh, and I was, I was like, like, I, I literally thought like copy machine. Um, and I was like, what is she talking about? That Copywriter. Uh, and, and she's like, like, who's writing all the words on the website? I'm like, we all are like, we all are like, just like, we just do it. We don't think about strategy. We don't think about the word, just like whoever wrote yep. it is the writer. Um, and she's like, no, we need a voice, like our brand. And so we went the whole rebranding process and what was the biggest part of that branding process, I thought it was our logo. It was actually our words uh, that, that we began to align messaging to who we were. And what was fascinating is I had been running all of the digital advertising for the church. I'd been running all of these things and I was just making it up as I go without strategy, without intentionality. And when we began to prioritize our words and what I prioritized was our graphics, our videos, our visual elements, um, and when we began to align words, it moved the needle, you know, with what we were measuring of how many people were actually Absolutely. visiting the church, how many people were responding to our ads. Um, and it was so eye-opening to me, the power of words. And I think it's so often put on the back burner because people can't, um, people just think like, oh, we need a graphic designer because I don't know how to do InDesign. Well, I know how to write. Uh, but but I think there's a well I don't think I know you know now that there's a real science and art to how we package words. Holly, as you have specialized in that, you know, for so long, what was your journey into 
beginning to put words together. So as you were, were at five, yep. you know, love putting words together, but well, how did you professionally really start to prioritize that and bring that into churches and organizations? That's a great question, Nils. So when I was at this church, this large church, what I, they, they were a church that pursued excellence at all levels. Yes. From first impression, walking in from the parking lot, keeping the yeah. parking lot clean, keeping um, the bathrooms very clean and well stocked. And I, up to that point, you know, hadn't had those resources made available to me. And, um, you know, we get this attitude in the church world where um, done is better than perfect. Yes. And in a lot of cases, right, that's that's as good as you're as you can possibly do and that is excellence for you yes. but i was i i was in this new world where anything was really anything within reason was possible yep. and i was given i was given the budget to say okay how can we make every communication excellent how can we learn how to identify because talking to the parent of a preschooler that's a different voice than talking to the parent of a teenager. And so how can you sort of have one cohesive brand voice and reposition yourself in a way to be heard? Because parents want to know that you understand and not just parents, but the singles ministry. They want the recipients of those communications. They want to feel understood by you. And so it really taught me a lot about getting to know your ICP, right? That's a business term, your ideal client profile. Yeah. But it, I, I learned that. Hey guys, it's Neil Smith and I'm interrupting this episode to highlight one of our sponsors. And this sponsors is one of the companies that I recently acquired and it's a company called Church Press. And I was blown away uh, when I found out about Church Press and it is the most SEO optimized, search engine optimization, optimized website platform for churches. And it is one price and it covers everything you need uh, to, to have a great website presence to design set up a beautiful website that works great uh, but but i think most importantly is found by google so that people can find your church and so if you want to upgrade your website or build a new website we would love to help go to churchpress.co uh, and you get more information and learn more uh, we also have a free seo audit uh, that you can get uh, right there on the website of your website. So if you want to see how optimized your website is, just go to churchpress.co and you don't have to sign up for anything. It's totally free. And we would love to help you build a better website that is found by Google. Let's get back to the episode. Understanding what matters and what aggravates and what tensions these people carry, that's what you need to address in those mm. communications. And, and I learned the power of having people feel understood because I'm talking about their problems, stating their problems. And I'm saying, hey, we have a unique solution. We have a unique sales position. It's not that different from business, right? ICP, yeah. USP, we have a unique sales position. We, we have this service, we have this product, we have this resource, we have this gathering. And this problem that you're feeling, this tension that you're carrying, we have the answer. And it's not so much talking about the church, it's talking about the audience and their yes. problems and what they're dealing with. It was learning to leverage knowing your audience and to do so excellently. You know, a lot of times in the church world or even in um, Christian writing, right? And, and, and up until, you know, recent history, really even, and I, I hesitate to say this, but I'm just going to be honest, Christian music, you know, there's this sort of assumption that it's going to be less than. You know, it's going to a Christian movie is going to be less than a movie yeah. that's released. That's not a Christian movie. A, a Christian artist is going to release a song and it's somehow going to be less than if a pop star released a song. Um, a Christian book is written and it's we don't we don't really need to edit that, you know, just get it out there. But um, one of my one of the scripture verses that I come back to a lot in my work in the faith space, it's Acts and it's um, it's actually James who says it. And he's talking like there's all this dissent around the Gentiles, not following all the Jewish customs. Right. Yeah. And and, you know, it's Peter, it's, you know, Barnabas, Paul, James, they're all having this conversation um, and they're kind of arguing, you know, what should we make the Gentiles do to come to God? And basically, James says we shouldn't make it hard. Yes. We shouldn't make it hard. In other words, let's remove the obstacles. Yes. Let's remove the obstacles for anybody who wants to come to God. 
And so in my writing, I pursue excellence so that my lack of excellence doesn't become an obstacle because I don't want, and, and, and it will turn people off. I don't want bad grammar, misspellings, um, a lack of, of brand awareness and a lack of awareness of my audience. I don't want that to become an obstacle for someone. And so I really learned that the pursuit of excellence in the faith space is more important than anywhere else, because why would you want a lack of effort or a lack of investment to become an obstacle? You know, Mm -hmm. if you think about God, our creator, right? He created with words. I think that's, Super important to keep in mind the power of words. He spoke life into existence. But if you think about God created with precision and God created with excellence, he didn't Mm. halfway do anything. If you've Mm. seen a sunset, we talk about the creativity of God, but I I don't think we talk enough about the precision and excellence of his Mm. creation. You think about, I'm not a science girl uh, by any stretch, but you think about the earth tilted on its axis, if it was a a negligible amount tilted in another direction, none of this would work, right? You want to talk about precision and excellence. God was out there doing work and (laughs) he was out there doing work and he didn't just throw it out there and say, well, I hope they like it. Or, you know, I I did what I needed to do. I checked the box. Um, No, he was very precise and very excellent. If we're made in his image and if, we're trying to pursue, you know, being like him. And it only makes sense for us to be precise and excellent and remove any obstacles from coming to him. So I would say those were the major lessons that I've learned, not just while at that church, but since then in the Christian space is, you know, I've worked with um, very well-known people in the faith space and in the business space. Um, I, I've worked with very well-known people and then I also still work with first-time authors and I approach every project with the same level of responsibility and it's being excellent. It's every story deserves to be told and every story deserves to be told without obstacles to the import of the story. Yes. That's so good. That's so good. I think I just preached. I didn't plan to say that. <laughs> I didn't plan the, to go. The uh, preacher came out. Uh, listen. It's, and, and I think it, I mean, I think this is a message that needs to be preached. I, uh, it's a conviction for me because I definitely lean on the done is better than perfect side of things. Sometimes I'm, I want to run so hard and fast and pastors are often so entrepreneurial and they have so many ideas. And, uh, and, and so often I think we miss uh, some, some, huge opportunities for excellence and impacting people because we just move too fast. Uh, and so, and sometimes I think yes. we do need to slow down and really be more refined. Uh, and, and honestly, uh, to your word of like, we need to be more excellent, uh, in everything that, that we're putting out and, and what that will do, uh, from an impact standpoint, will will actually reach more people than doing more things. Um, if Absolutely. we do fewer things, but doing them with a, a level of excellence, and it is attention. I think that that pastors have to manage. Um, Holly, getting into the the weeds of church communications and yep. the different platforms that are out there. Of we have words on our website. We have words on our uh, e- emails. Uh, we have words on our social media. We have words on our posters. We have words on our slides and our screens. Where where would you begin? Um, and even just helping a church, where, where should they prioritize their words and, and maybe even begin to, to focus on their refinement as they see that, that priority within their church? That's a great question. I would start with a website. Yeah. And these, you, know, you hear website and you automatically think this very difficult, expensive, you know, tech-heavy process. Yes. But you can literally create a landing page website with a couple of tabs in yep. two hours. Yep. I have created myself uh, using Squarespace to, to yep. use a specific example. They're templated. It's literally fill in the blank, right? And so go buy a domain name off godaddy.com, go into get Squarespace, get a free template and set up some sort of landing page for your church because yep. when people hear about you, the first thing they're going to do is yes. go look at your church's website. 
And that's where I would invest. If I were a church and I had no um, media presence at all yet, that is exactly where I would start. I would start with a solid landing page that has um, very clearly stated hours, (laughs) hours of services, um, the order of service. I think when people walk into a building and they know exactly what's going to happen, they feel a sense of um, control, right? It's information that they're equipped with that makes them less anxious and more likely to show up because they're like, oh, well, we're going to do, you know, a few songs. There's going to be an offering Um, this service. You know, they might they might have a baptism here. They might not. And then, you know, we're going to get a 25 minute message and then we'll be out, you know, by noon or 1030 or what have you. So I think stating very clearly what happens in your services, the hours, directions, what childcare is offered, um, how to how to sign up for childcare. Again, it's about removing obstacles, right? Because these information, this information, these pieces of information, they inform guests and they make guests feel at ease and more likely to show up. Um, the other thing I would include is a statement of faith. You know, what's your church about? What's your bottom line? Um, do you believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible? What can guests expect to be taught from stage? If you're in the middle of a series, I think it's a great idea to update this weekly and say, hey, we're in the middle of this series on Job. Uh, last week, we learned about um, Job's friends and how, you know, they called him an idiot. And this week we're going to see, you know, Job's redemption and how God blessed him the latter half of his life more than he did. I think just giving people information removes that obstacle of anxiety in a way that without it, uh, it's going to be much more difficult for somebody to show up in your door, in your doorway without any information. So I'd start with a website. If I can do it, listen, if I can build a website and I did build my first one, and I actually built one for a friend last week in about three hours and it it had a a portfolio. It had a couple of tabs. It's in Squarespace. It's simple. And the template was free and to host the website for a year was like 60 bucks. We can find, we can find the resources to make this happen. A lot of it is intimidation and, and, and not knowing, you know, like I'm not a tech person. I don't know anything about, you know, social media or whatever, figure it out, figure it out. But you don't know until you educate yourself, go on YouTube and search a video for how to create a Squarespace website, pause it, do the step, play it, you know, like there's so many resources available. It really removes a lot of our excuses. So I'd start with a website a landing page, bare minimum service hours and what childcare is provided and a statement of faith. Those three things. Yeah. I would start there. Second place is most parents now are on Instagram. Yep. Um, It's the biggest platform for parents in social media. It's bigger than Facebook for, especially for young parents of young children of your preschoolers Um, get on Instagram. And you know, what's funny is, uh, analytically if you look at the analytics of instagram the worst day to post is sunday it's the Mm. it's it's the worst day and yet when churches when churches do have instagram that's typically the only day that they post interesting so um the best days to post are monday tuesday wednesday and friday between the hours of 9 a.m and 1 p.m your local time and the best of those days are Tuesday and Wednesday. And yeah. and those are like those middle of the week days that um, I think for a lot of church workers, like you're preparing, especially, you know, you're preparing your environment, you're preparing the music, you're um, a pastor and you're, you know, you got just a few more days left because Sunday's always coming. It, yes. It's very difficult to prioritize social media posting in the middle of the week. And yet those are the highest views yeah. on on those days you get the highest amount of views and so it's something simple like coming up with a social media calendar and that yes. sounds like a really fancy word but it could be in the notes section of your iphone yep. um sunday you know post hey we're having this service this time this child care is provided would love to see you there yes. follow up on monday tuesday wednesday and friday with a post you can post about post 
pictures from your service. You can post pictures of your environment. Hey, here's where our kindergartners hang out. Here's, you know, where our kindergartner through second grade hangs out. This is the small group leader in charge of them. This is, you know, Sarah, she's a senior in high school. Sarah, you know, loves kids, wants to be a teacher one day. It doesn't have to be that deep, yeah. right? Yeah. But you want to stay, you want to stay top of mind and connected. Yes. Yes. And you can recycle posts, yes. use a different picture. Yeah. Um, you can create slides in Canva for free. I'm telling yeah. you, if I can figure it out, anybody can, yeah. <laughs> anyone can. But that's the second thing I would add would be an, an Instagram. And frankly, if you're going to do an Instagram, you might as well do a Facebook might because there well. are still, it is yeah. still the biggest social media platform in existence. It still yeah. is. My yeah. kids like to tease me because I still have a Facebook. Look, I've bought and sold a lot of quality furniture on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So, and you can push content yep. from Instagram to Facebook. And what yep. that means is you post it on Instagram and you yep. can put your settings to where yep. it'll have that content automatically show up on Facebook. So it's yes. really a two birds, one stone yes. deal at that point. Um, but that's where I would have churches start. And, you know, to back up to your point, if we want to back up even further than that, it would be to establish a brand outside of yeah. a logo. And you have yeah. no idea. I, I do a lot of brand consultations. Yeah. Um, how many people think a brand is a logo? I think yeah. that's the most that's the most common misconception. Yes. But um, uh, while a logo is important and it yes. and it does sort of stand for your church, there have to be words that you wrap around that. Um, you have to have some sort of a mission statement. Like, yeah. what are you about? Are you a church for the unchurched? Yes. Um, are you a, are you a church for um, people who want to go deeper with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Are you a church? Those are two different churches, right? Yeah. A church you, for people who want. How, how does the church figure out what that is? Like they're distinctive uh, as they begin to figure out what words do we need to align to articulate who we are to our community and to who we are to those that aren't yet coming to our church? I think that's a great question. I think it's not a, a decision that a pastor can make on his own or shouldn't okay. make on his own. Yeah. I think that's when you call in the people who have been there from the beginning, you mm. get together a board, so to speak. Maybe you have one, maybe you have deacons, maybe you have, um, leadership team at your church but i even even if you have church staff i would not limit these conversations to your staff i would bring in regular attenders those rock star volunteers who've been there from the beginning who get what you're doing maybe they they haven't verbalized it yet but they get what you're about and i would say form an advisory board to figure out what what are your values right identify five values identify who it is you're after and how how you want to create transformation in the lives of whomever you're after. Yeah. And so um, coming up with a mission statement, um, there's a lot of resources online for that as well. And um, I, I would definitely recommend a pastor download some of that, some of that um, content on how to create a mission statement for your church, identify yeah. who you're after because you know, some churches might want to say, well, we're after everyone. Of course. We want to, and, and you are. You're like, your your doors are open to every single soul that wants to walk through them. Right, right. But getting at the crux of your 5% mm -hmm. differentiator, and I know that sounds so businessy, but the truth is every church has a specific heart, right? Yeah. It has a specific quality that is unique to that church. Figuring out how to verbalize your 5% differentiator as a church will help you in your mission and will help you in your vision because it will help you figure out if you, where changes need to be made, right? Yeah. If yeah. we're not having new visitors every week or, or every month, or we haven't had, you know, somebody join the church in a long time. Nobody wants to be baptized. We're not reaching, you know, no one is, um, professing salvation and like you it, knowing what you want and what you're after and what you're about 
helps you understand when you're when something is falling short not necessarily yes. the pastor but a, a st your strategy is falling short yeah and we need we need to optimize we need to recalibrate that's why it's so important i love that i love that it's i i think and i think it's at the end of the day it is a process of yeah you know that, that you need to go back to regularly is are we effectively communicating who we are through our various message points uh in the different channels that we're communicating uh tangibly email is is a big question is yep. email dead should churches prioritize email uh what what does that look like from your perspective and how often maybe even should churches be emailing their congregation great question so email is still the best way to communicate it's okay. still the best way to yep. communicate what you have to do is become um you want to become the person in the inbox that they want they don't want to just delete without opening yeah so um i when i was work we had so many conversations at this large church that i worked for about how often we should email yeah. um you know and the goal is to not email unless you absolutely have to communicate something okay um but you want to add value with each email yeah. So you want to put as much content as you can into an email to not have to double email, but you also want the emails to be easily understood. Yes. And the way you do that is you have to have a database. Yes. You have to have a database at your church with filters. Yep. You don't want a preschool email going to somebody with only high school students or an empty nester. Yes. You have to figure out how to get those emails to the right people. And, and that only comes through um, a database with filters. And honestly, you could do Microsoft Excel. Yeah. And it, you know, if you're not, if your church is at a spot where you can't necessarily buy one of these, you know, Arena was one that, that was used. Roll Call was one that was used. These are huge database systems that keep up yeah. with a lot of people with a lot of tags um, to be filtered. So keep an Excel spreadsheet of yep. everybody in your church. What are their kids' names, birthdays? And the benefit of having birthdays, and you do have to have birthdays, is that you know exactly when those kids need to move yeah. up to the next environment. Yep. You know exactly when to send home um, a cute birthday postcard, yep. right? Because the more yep. personalized you can be, the bigger you are, the more personalized you need to be. Yes. Because you want to make your church feel very small. Hmm. Right. And so um, I would say um, one email a week, Okay. one email a week. Yep. And they know that when they open it, they're going to find value there. Yeah. I would also say don't discount snail mail. Yes. Postcard people yes. love. It's a novelty now. Yes. Right. Yes. A handwritten postcard. I wouldn't yes. be able to throw it away. Right. My right. kids, small group leader sends them uh, the church brings their little postcard to the small yeah. group leaders on Sunday. They get a stack of postcards. Yeah. Hey, all these kids That's have birthdays so this week. Can you yes. write them a letter, write them yes. a message? Then the church drops it in the mail on behalf of the small group leaders in the church. I would say that has gotten, when we did that at my prior church and the church we attend, which is a different church now, it does the same. Birthday postcards, graduation postcards, if your church is smaller, do wedding anniversaries. Celebrate yes. the, the married couples who are getting it right. Yes. Um, but don't discount snail mail at all. I would say all big announcements like yep. giving campaigns, service, yes. special service, when, when your Christmas services are going to be, those type of things, create a postcard. It's really yeah. inexpensive to run bulk postcard postage these days. Yep. Yep. Um, so I would definitely recommend not discounting the snail mail. I love um, it. But yeah, on your emailing system, the major points to remember are don't spam. One a week should be the, the rule of thumb. Yep. In some cases, if a if you're communicating to parents of high schoolers, but they also have a middle schooler and that's yep. a different email. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying yep. as a church, general communication should be no more than once a week. They yep. should contain a link from last week's message if possible. Yep. and a forecast of what's to come and any yep. special announcements for the rest of the month should go at the bottom. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. Very tangible. Uh, and I think, I, I do think that we uh, sometimes under email, but I think even to your point of like, look, how can we be excellent in our emails uh, and add value in every piece of communication? And I, I love that idea of, as this is a social media church podcast and we talk about digital a lot, when we can translate that to adding a physical element uh, that thing shows up in their mail, especially if it's handwritten and personalized to the individual, that will go such a long way. I think about first time visitors to your church, send them a physical, you know, yep. note, or even you know, there's a company that I've worked with called uh, PFL or Printing for Less, but they do packages for companies. Uh, and I think about a church, if you send to somebody a physical package and, the, and their slogan is 100% packages have 100% open rate, you know, and so like your snail mail maybe, maybe only gets so much, but you get a package yeah. in the mail, you're opening up uh, that package for sure. And the, the relational connection point that you can make with that package is, is massive. Uh, and so that's really great advice, Holly. I want to talk about books uh, for, for a minute. And, and my experience um, having been an author and, and, and I would say kind of an accidental author is what, what happened to me is I was a social media pastor, kind of pioneering online ministry, you know, 12, 13 years ago. And I kept getting so many phone calls uh, from other churches or emails saying, can, you, can we get on a call and you can talk through? And I just got overwhelmed. And so I literally took a weekend uh, and wrote a little ebook that every time, and I, I say an ebook, it was just a Word doc. Uh, and so every time a, a church would call me and ask me about how are you doing what you're doing, I would just send them this doc and said, I hope this can answer your questions. Unfortunately, I can't, you know, uh, you know, set up phone calls right now. And then that got forwarded to Group Publishing, who who then asked me to write a book called Social Media Guide for Ministry. And that what that did for me is two things, Holly. It gave me, one, a framework as to what I was doing. So I was actually processing what I was doing, uh, and it gave me a framework to then enhance what I was doing. So it was a really great personal value. And then the other thing is it led to an authority positioning uh, for myself. And I wasn't planning on getting into public speaking and you know consulting and all of that, but it opened doors that I didn't even dream about uh, by having that platform. Uh, and then on top of that, it allowed me, I think the book sold six or 7,000 copies and helped a lot of pastors you know, do social media that I didn't even have to get on a phone call with. Uh, I, I didn't even right. have to even send them that email. Uh, group publishing did all of that for me. Uh, and so it added so much value to my ministry uh, by writing and publishing a book. I think every pastor uh, in my mind has probably dozens of books they'd like to write, uh, or at the end of the day, if you're preaching sermon series or you're preaching at all, like that can be easily turned into a book and then used in so many different ways. So whether you're publishing with a publisher or you're self-publishing, I, I just think there's so much value in writing a book. Holly, I'm curious your perspective on and your experience in working with pastors and writing mm -hmm. books. What what has that experience been like and what is that process? That's another good question. The, it's, a big, it's a big question too, uh, uh, because I'm is. sure there's a big diversity, but I guess I'm, I'm sure. curious about how, how should a pastor that's even got a book in their heart, but they're like, yep. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, where, where do they, where do they begin to even, should they just start writing it? Should they yep. call you? Should they, you know, talk to a publisher? <laughs> uh, what, what, what should they do? This is the number one question that I get on any inbox that I own, email, text, LinkedIn, yeah. so, social media is, I have a book idea, what should I do with it? Yeah. Um, so first, what you're going to experience if you feel like you have a book idea, you'll simultaneously experience imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, why would mm. anybody care what I have to say? What's new in the world that I could comment, comment on? If I write this book, Will it make people in my church mad? Will it make people at the office mad? Or will it make me look stupid? Or what if I write it and nobody buys it? What if I write, write it and it gets a bad review? Every book idea comes and then immediately what follows is fear and anxiety and imposter yes. syndrome. I've worked with um, a, a billionaire founder who had sold at a you know unicorn status. And I've worked with first-time authors, and the one unifying characteristic is that all of us struggle at some point, at some point in our journey and dream professionally, 
we will experience imposter syndrome where mm. we will hear the lie that I have nothing new to say or yes. nothing important to say. But my, my response to that is twofold. One, you are actually the only person on planet Earth who can share your story and your perspective. Because guess what? There is nothing new under the sun. There isn't. That was true in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> it's true no. now. There's nothing new under the sun. Yes. The only thing new is your story, your unique experience and perspective and how God has un, how God has explained things within your spirit, your take, how you view things. That's the only new thing there is to offer anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And even AI can't offer that. That's yeah. the one thing AI cannot do is tell yeah. your story. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you know, and I'm not just saying this for job security, but I believe everybody has a story in their heart and a book yeah. that deserves to be shared. Not necessarily, I don't think everybody should publish a book, but I think everybody should share their story. Yes. And so I hmm. think that if you're listening to this and you want to share your story and you, your story, your perspective, something, a word that God has given you or a perspective that you think could help someone else, um, I, I would say the first place to start is to just get out onto paper somehow or onto a voice recording somehow, the crux of what you want to say. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people are like, well, it's so disorganized and, and I don't really know exactly what it is I want to say. I would just say, start somewhere simple. Um, I always tell my clients, we're going to start with a 10 chapter outline, yep. the first chapter and the last chapter, let's set those aside, but let's think about eight new things we want to say. We yep. want to say something about adversity. We want to say something mm. about grit. We want to say something about courage, eight things we want to say. Of course you have your overarching topic, right? Let's say it's adversity under the umbrella of adversity. Let's talk about eight different things. The first and last chapter, the first chapter is introduction. The last chapter is a call to action, right? That's how I, yes. I structure all my books. So after that, you have 10 chapters that you sort of know what you're going to talk about, right? Yep. And then it's just a matter of adding relevant stories, relevant research, relevant scripture, relevant interviews, relevant anything under that topic. You can literally just word vomit about that topic. And then you have the rough draft. What is the rough draft of a book? If yeah. you break it down into those steps, mm -hmm. identifying the big idea, yeah. identifying eight supporting sub ideas, yes. and then finding research stories, personal experience. So other people's stories, your own stories, yep. um, scripture, expert opinion, um, doing interviews with people. Then you just throw all that into each chapter. You've basically yes. got the rough draft of a book. Now, if you don't have time for that, or you don't have the capacity for that, or that sounds miserable, you don't have to just go spend yeah. a ton of money and hire a ghostwriter. There's manuscript coaches, right? Who can, and I'm a manuscript coach as well, walk okay. with you through every chapter, coaching you, giving you ideas and direction and, and guidance the whole way. Or you can hire a developmental editor who will take a look at what you've got and say, hey, this is going to require basically a rewrite. So it's in between a book coach and mm -hmm. a ghostwriter. Yeah. And then the third level of engagement is a ghostwriter. And yeah. I, um, I always tell people it's sort of a misnomer because it's a partnership. These aren't yes. my stories. These aren't my ideas. I would have ran out of steam a long time ago as a ghostwriter if I were trying to rely on my own knowledge and experience and wisdom. Yeah. It's a partnership where it's truly my job to get the best book and story out of you by asking the right questions, mm -hmm. leveraging, engaging narrative techniques, keeping the reader following the whole way. That's my job is to yeah. truly get the story out of you. But if you are listening to this and a ghostwriter or manuscript coach or an editor, it's just out of your budget. I would say start with your big idea, identify eight sub ideas and literally just support those sub ideas with stories and research. Um, and then from there, if you still don't know what to do, there are communities on LinkedIn and on Facebook where people cannot afford 
the services of a professional, but you can barter with someone, hey, I'll read your book and give feedback if you'll read my book and give feedback. And there's also community groups. I found one at a community college 45 minutes away. This was like almost 20 years ago when I was writing my science fiction young adult trilogy, which will... I mean, it's still, you can still get it. I'm not going to say I didn't publish it under, under my name at the time. I had a very serious pen name. Um, but I found this community where we just showed up and and read our books and people gave feedback. Like there's, there's never an excuse not to take the next step. If you are a resourceful person and you truly feel like this is your calling, right? If you feel like this is your purpose, purpose is fuel for any obstacle. And that's why keeping purpose at the heart of everything that we do, I think is so important because without, if money is your purpose, money won't get you through every obstacle. Um, Your parents being proud of you, even achievement for achievers, none of that is going to be fuel for the long haul. Fuel for the long haul is understanding your purpose as a writer Mm -hmm. and your purpose as a pastor and your purpose as you know, a social media manager, podcast host extraordinaire. It's having a purpose and keeping that at the forefront of all that you do, having that be your North Star and your beacon. That's the only thing that's going to help you. And it's going to take the excuses away, right? Because when your story intersects with someone else's story and they reach out to you and say, you know, Nils, just to get a little personal, I went through a, a crippling blindsiding divorce five years ago that I did not see coming and being someone who, you know, has been a professional Christian for most of her career. um, I thought this is it for me. This Mm -hmm. is it for me. I'll be Hester Prynne and wear the scarlet letter, you know, being a divorced woman Mm -hmm. um, did not see it coming. Total blindside shock, depression, grief, you know, all of it. This was, I guess it's been more than five years now. Gosh, it's been almost six. But um, I didn't start sharing that publicly until about two years ago. It took me that long to understand that the potential for Mm -hmm. good was greater than the potential for bad. And I think that's ultimately what everybody has to decide about sharing their story. Mm is that my story intersecting with someone else's takes Mm. what I'm sure was meant for evil and for bad and to limit me and leverages it for good. And it, and it makes that pain a currency, right? Mm. A currency that I would not have otherwise relationally if I didn't share it. Um, It leverages the pain for good. Like what's the point Mm. in pain? If we just say that really hurt, let's move on unless we first process it and heal, but then help other people heal, right? Or help other people avoid that pain by sharing our story and allowing them to grow in wisdom. So I think anybody listening who wants to write a book, um, I would identify your purpose. Um, I would, I would certainly overcome anxiety by asking, okay, what's the potential for good here? What's yeah. the potential for life change and transformation and what really matters? And if we're talking about faith folks, <laughs> what matters more than mm-hmm. serving each other, right? Yes. Just like Jesus served the disciples, like what matters more? And so again, I didn't mean to preach at you, but I'm very passionate about my career. So you cannot, <laughs> you can't so good. tell. Well, I, I saw on your website that you partnered with Ed and Lisa Young going through their recent oh tragedy. Goodness. Lisa was actually small world, uh, my first grade elementary school teacher uh, back in the day. Uh, but but it, it is, I, I think, in the midst of our pain, so often are so many learnings that we gain and are able to use to, to help others. Uh, and I, I think at the end of the day, what I what I want everyone listening uh, to this podcast to hear is, you have a book in you, uh, and and I heard you know talking to one of my clients who uh, helps you know people self publish uh, was saying that I, I think it's something like ninety six percent of people have a book they'd like to write and less than two percent ever actually write it, uh, and I yeah. don't know what the exact stats are, but it was it was mind blowing to me. If yeah, it is true. You know, I think it, it when I think about leaders and. So many of us, and 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 I think to your point of 
you know, whether it's imposter syndrome or they think they're too busy or whatever the reason might be, I, I think, I think you need to write your book. Uh, and you might, and you might be listening. You're not a senior pastor. You're like, oh, only our senior pastor should write a book. I think everybody has a yep. book in them. Uh, and in the worst case, you write it and nobody reads it, but you at least wrote it, and that will be, in many ways, a, an incredible process for you uh, to, to go experience. through. I do think too. The other thing, though, that I think that I see churches doing with books that that is an incredibly valuable resource is it's an incredible tool for your congregation to use to invite people to to their church yeah. to introduce their pastor to their friends um and and it gives in many ways credibility and authority to you as a pastor of oh they wrote a book they uh there's something and a level of connection that can be made and you know i think there's two pastors that i think of that that friends in ministry that have gone through the book writing process uh in the last few years that, that it's been fun to journey with them through one is here in new york uh my friend john tyson had one of his congregants say that sermon series is so good can i basically turn it into a book and we'll co-author it and i'll write it and then you can edit it and we'll publish it and and that's been a great resource for their church and they just self-published it it was super easy it didn't take john really any extra time uh, but no. he had that that book resource that he's been able to share with so many so many people and it's a front door for the church, my other uh, client um, uh, that's probably now very known, but he wasn't when I got to know him, that's Mike Todd. Uh, but he had a sermon series go viral called Relationship Goals. And I remember yeah. talking to him like, Mike, that need, this needs should be a book. Uh, and he, you know, and I, I don't know the process, but uh, I assume he didn't write the book and he's never even shared that with me. Uh, but but he took that sermon series that had such great engagement. He, he actually just had his third book that was all sermon series turned into books third one go new york times best-selling author uh and and at the end of the day just because you write a book doesn't mean in the goal i don't think should be a new york's best-selling author but he wrote a book when he prepared that sermon series because with that he went through a process of finding stories he went through a process of studying scripture he went through a process of aligning thoughts to transformational messages that were packaged together in a series that were essentially chapters uh in his book and so I believe uh, whether it's coming out of a, a situation of grief and pain or whether it's a sermon series that you wrote or whether it's just your autobiography, uh, you have a book in you. Uh, and yep. I want to encourage every pastor, ministry leader to start writing that book or begin that process of organizing your thoughts um, in a way uh, to do that. And I want to encourage just practically, and I've, I've got another question for you as we wrap up, Holly, that I think. Uh, Holly, your expertise is so unique uh, in that area uh, and your understanding of both the church and pastors that they just, you know, reach out to you to begin that conversation. And I'm confident you'll point them in the right direction, whether you're the right person to help them or not, um, because it, it really is a, a unique uh, experience and take it, allowing, you know, an expert to guide you through that process, whether they hold your hand through the process or just guide you in the right direction. Uh, right. Don't try to make it up. Um, as you go and Holly, I think you gave great advice as to how you can, you know, do it on a shoestring budget. But I think also like it's worth spending money on, even if you never financially see that money come back, you will see it come back in different ways. So that's, you know, I, I think when I wrote my book, I, I probably made $10,000 on it, but realistically, I probably made half a million dollars on it from consulting contracts and other that's things exactly, that come, yeah. come back from it uh, and the authority that, that has come uh, from it. And so there's so much value. I think that can come out of writing a book that I think is just understated. Uh, and I, I just want to encourage everyone to lean into that. But Holly, you, you mentioned it earlier, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you turn it a little bit here, AI. Uh, and AI yep. is one of those things that everyone is talking about playing with yep. chat GPT, all of these things. There's, you know, AI editors, AI writers, where does where is this going with AI? What's your perspective of like what do we need to never stop doing as humans, and what do we need to maybe lean into uh, with this AI technology from your perspective as an expert copywriter? That's that's the question of the of the era, isn't it? It's how, are you worried you're going to lose a job? Are you worried yeah. <laughs> you know the AI is going to take over? And you know there's always something new to worry about. So I try to take you know there's not been a development. A, technology development like this, you know, um, maybe since the internet, right? Right. Uh, But I would say that 
I leverage AI like I would a really good search engine. And I think that's its best use. Unless you're willing to do the training, there are very elaborate prompts. And a lot of people on LinkedIn give away a lot of great prompts. And so pastors, if you're listening, I would hop on LinkedIn, follow these AI experts. It's certainly not me, but look for these I do use a few prompts um, now and again to do very specific um, research. But for the most part, you know what I love? Hey, I have a chat GPT subscription. So I get access to the, to the four plus chat, chat GPT. And I, and I do love it. I'll say, give me 30 synonyms for the word difficult that start with the letter R. You know, there's nowhere, there's nowhere else you can do that. And so from a copywriting perspective, Mm. it is very, very useful. And, and there's no other, you know, platform to use. You can't Google that and get the same results. You can't, you'll get 7,000 websites and none of them will spit out the right thing. But that's one really great use for AI. But what I said earlier still holds true. AI can pick up on sentiment but it yes. can't em- it can't emote yes it ha- it has no soul it yes. has no discernment um what it has is experience yeah. and and i think instead of being afraid of it a, a much healthier approach is to say well how can i leverage this thing to help my thing be easier yes. and and there are classes and i did take an ai workshop class um, that taught me a ton that I probably should, frankly, Niles or Nils. You're good. So You're sorry. good. So sorry. I should be using more, right? Um, yeah. I should be using it more, but right now I just use it as a super powered search engine yeah. um, to find very specific, to locate very specific outcomes. Or you could say, give me 10 Warren Buffett quotes on entrepreneurship and it'll spit out 10 quotes, but it's, it's, it's fallible, right? You definitely need to double check if you're going to use like a a direct quote or a direct stat, unless it's you say, and include the citation from where you found it in the prompt, because I have noticed a lot of mistakes coming out of AI and you know, you, you can spot AI generated content. Um, It's fairly easy because it's very emotionless and formal. Even when you tell it to speak casually, when you tell it to speak casually, it just sounds cheesy. So it's just not human. Um, And so what what humans can do is figure out a way to to leverage it to help you. But I would definitely not lean on it for anything longer than a few words. I definitely wouldn't copy and paste from it. You can spot that type of writing a mile away. You could say, hey, write a church email and inc- to my congregation in the voice of, you know, a pastor that you admire yeah. and include the following details. Take that, but then edit it, yes. right? Then add your personality, add your tone, just use that as a jumping off point. And that is what I love about AI. Yeah. I I do love that it gives people a jumping off point. You know, yeah. I hey, I'm a church in this area and I am. I need ten Instagram post ideas, caption ideas. Enter and yes. take those caption ideas, and but add your church's tone and voice and brand to it. Yeah. So it is great to generate ideas and to get the ball rolling. But if you're copying and pasting, you will it it will come off as inauthentic because again, it can pick up on sentiment. And it can mimic sentiment, but it cannot itself emote. And it yes. does not have a personal tone. So that's my take on AI. I use it every day. Yeah. I use ChatGPT every day to look for words, to say, hey, what's a word similar to trial, but doesn't mean the same thing as sadness? You know, yeah. like you can you can get those nuanced answers that you yes. can't through a Google search, but yes. again, do not copy and paste, resist, That's good. resist the urge. That's great advice. And I, and I think that we're in a season where it's, uh, it's so new and, and it's worth experimenting and testing and using a little bit, but it is not replacing humans and it should not. 
uh, replace right. humans. Um, and, and so I think, I think it's, uh, you know, progress with caution and, uh, but, but, but don't, you know, it's not useless. Uh, it, it, it will obviously be useful uh, in a way and obviously can be useful in a copywriting standpoint. So Holly, thank for you sure. so much uh, for all of your expertise and insights. How can people connect with you? You can connect with me on my website. I just relaunched and rebranded. It's called thestoryspark.com. That's T-H-E-S-T-O-R-Y-S-P-A-R-K.com. That's the best way to get in touch with me. It has all it has all my social media links on there, my email on there. You can book a, a free 20-minute consult with me on there um, or an hour coaching call that's paid. Uh, that It has all the good links, all the links yes. head there. Yes. Well, I would, I want to encourage everyone to do two things. Uh, no, I want to encourage everyone to do three things. One, go to the storyspark.com, uh, and just look at a well-crafted website, uh, because you. you can see the messaging of, of Holly's expertise in her website and the intentionality there. And so I think you can see an excellently done, uh, website. Um, and, and I think it's, it's worth just learning from. Uh, the second thing I want to encourage you to do is go follow Holly on LinkedIn. Uh, and so it, she is the best uh, follow on LinkedIn. And I think you can see, uh, and, and I think it's just even worth following and learning from how she's writing uh, her post uh, there on LinkedIn. And so even if you follow no one else, uh, follow Holly on LinkedIn. And the last thing I want to do is encourage you to not do the 20 minute call, to do the one hour call and get coached uh, by Holly. Uh, because I think, gosh, I think a one hour investment of help us as a our church leadership team do this. And maybe you can do a 20 minute call and then and then do the, the longer call. Book a call with Holly. Uh, but but I, I, I would, would encourage you to, uh, to 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 invest in your own church. And, and I got to imagine one hour uh, with Holly speaking into your your church would be incredibly valuable to look at your website together. Look at you know, send her some of your emails to, to read through and get, get some of that expert advice. And the power of shaping and shifting your words just a little bit uh, can, can make a massive difference uh, in the life of your church. And so I, I just think it's such an incredible investment. So Holly, thank you so much for the time. Uh, and I hope that everyone here will go and engage and listen uh, to you because I believe that, that our churches can go further. Uh, if we'll lean into copywriting and prioritizing uh, the power of words. Uh, through our ministry. So thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening. We will talk to you again on the next episode.